Henry Handsome was a larger-than-life outlaw cowboy. At least that's how the legend goes. Henry Handsome Lived and Died examines the creation, evolution, proliferation, dissemination, and degradation of American folklore. Through 30 different short stories, the character, vague idea, false memory, misattributed anecdote, or influence of the titular Henry Handsome does everything from change the course of American media to sculpt modern-day knowledge of manifest destiny. Together, the collection represents the stories that create and define a culture, how those stories are told, and if they ever were to begin with, and if any of that matters at all. Each story was written, recorded, narrated, and produced by me, Elliot Matson. If you'd like to learn more about the collection, go to elliotmatson.com slash henryhandsome. But for now, saddle up and enjoy the story. Henry Handsome Lived and Died. Story number four. Hobart Jenkins played a good tune. Barrett Ford listened to Hobart's frail voice through his headphones, setting up his recorder on the man's dusty round kitchen table. Uh, Maybe you wouldn't call it a kitchen table because the room wasn't really a kitchen. More of a space in which he assumed the nonagenarian ate his vittles and at one point in time his wife prepared them. There was shabby cabinetry, though no stove or even a refrigerator. I shouldn't give him shit since it was probably a point better than any place I've ever called home. But here Barrett was, visiting from the exact middle of the century. And yet everything around him could have been from a hundred or even 200 years prior. Like every modern innovation, including himself and his equipment, were more anachronistically displaced than those children running through the meadows in muddy knickers, women washing clothes in basins, men bleeding pigs in ramshackle barns out front. The hot breath of Appalachia soaked Barrett's linen shirt, and the headphones stuck to his skin, creating little terrariums in his ears. Even decades later, when there'd be an unseasonably hot day in New York, Barrett would vividly recall this dismal heat in this very living room and opine that it wasn't so bad. Hobart plucked his fiddle errantly, his Sunday best Oxford shirt buttoned way to the tippy top so his saggy turkey neck rolled and flowed like the trunk of a thousand-year-old oak tree. He wore a pinstripe tweed coat and slacks, high black socks, and scuffed loafers. The ensemble made Barrett parts just looking at it as he tested the audio levels. So, you just want me to play a tune? Don't want me to talk or nothing? Really, it's whatever you want, said Barrett, monitoring his Brooklyn accent, though not doing the best job. He tried his darnest to make these rural folks feel at ease with him. Most were a bit apprehensive at first, but they came around. What's that Bible verse about judging not? I bet you the citizens of Lincoln County, West Virginia, probably knew it and abided, at least in their old ways. Whatever makes you feel comfortable, Mr. Jenkins. I'm recording right now. Hobart shook his fiddle and leaned towards Barrett's device. Hey, you hear that? He shook the fiddle again, and Barrett isolated the bright clang within the instrument's chipped, hollow body. Barrett's Smithsonian business card, now dog-eared and damp in his back pocket, may have called him a musical ethnographer. I reckon it's a fancy title for a sort of cultural anthropologist, But Barrett didn't even like that terminology. It conjured visions of tightly scrawled sheet music, powdered wigs, and hoity-toity Carnegie Hall patrons with those operatic binoculars. You know the ones. (laughs) Makes me chuckle just thinking about them. Barrett was far more interested in what happened in the seedy bars, the backwoods happy hollows, 
the kitchens of Hobart Jenkins's. He didn't care a lick about the sheen polish of an authentic Stradivarius violin, preferring the decayed disharmony of a hand-me-down Appalachian fiddle. Hobart shook it a third time. You put a rattlesnake in your fiddle, and it'll ward off the devil. I'd say William Glendinning should have thought of that. <laughs> Hobart howled and played a half-remembered medley of some shot of shea or another. Then he cleared his throat and squared up his duck feet, placing his stringed Appalachian shofar in the crook of his elbow. The fiddle didn't even have a chin rest. A traditional violin form be damned to the folks around here. I'd say music don't come from the head. It comes from down in the ticker. Though they wouldn't say that. They'd just say it was how they always played. Hobart absentmindedly began an up-tempo waltz and stopped as if checking for approval. Barrett offered that genteel smile. No, no, don't stop. This is all great. Keep playing that tune. Hobart picked up where he left off, playing the potatoes and a couple more bars before he began to sing. His trembling, ruddy voice washed a new coat of paint onto the interior of the old cabin. This is what Barrett longed for every recording day. This sonic moment where he stepped from the present and into the past. He closed his eyes, but Hobart kept his open. Some as I live and breathe was the baddest old outlaw that I'd ever seen. Stood seven feet tall and had razors for teeth. I'd cross the whole ocean just to get away from me. Drank serpent's blood and grinned cheek to cheek. He didn't come looking into you, he would seek. He was the baddest old outlaw that I'd ever seen. I'd cross the whole ocean just to get him away from me. Big frazzled beard and long wild hair Boy, knock you right over with that evil stare He was the baddest old outlaw that I'd ever seen I crossed the whole ocean just to get away from me I crossed the whole ocean just to get away from me I crossed the whole ocean Hobart ended the tune as all old-time tunes tend to end, dissipating into ambivalent string, plucking and meandering conversation, as if the song ain't a performance, but simply a tangent of the spoken word. There's lots of other verses, said the old man. Those are the ones I sing the most. You know, there are variations, of course. Some of the old-timers play them. <laughs> old-timers? Barrett nudged with a sweaty smile. He liked to build a rapport with the folks he recorded, make them feel like they weren't being put on display, but rather apotheosized in time. A little chain yanking usually did the trick, but Hobart was so damn old the joke sailed plumb over his head. Either that or he didn't care, and maybe by not caring, he brought Barrett into the fold of this little community even more. Well, <laughs> older than me, I should say. Hobart gummed his lip with a funny cackle and rising his bow. He adjusted his Coke bottle frames and the hash scratches looked like dandelions in the window light. Uh, folks will tell you lyrics like, He was the baddest old scoundrel I'd ever seen. I would leave England just to get him away from me. Because there's a similar tune about Harry Heston, a famous killer of the time. 
Some will throw in some drunken hiccups verses or make it into a kind of planksty remembrance. Some people substitute Scotland or Ireland, wherever they hail, I suppose. But my daddy wasn't from England, and this is the way he taught me. Hobart bowed some double stops, not particularly in tune or out. Screeches danced through Barrett's recorder and tied dainty knots in his ears. The explanations by these simple folks always struck them as fascinating. They could be telling you step by step how to cook a venison stew or teaching you a hoedown, always with the most precise, nuanced vagaries. This is the way it's done, but you can do it this way and I do it like so. They stuck to the old ways, but lived in accordance to how their old ways were passed to them and their best efforts to translate those ways to the next generation. Like a pigeon language slowly uprooting from its origins, but gingerly tiptoeing around any ordained creole. They tied their traditions to a floating buoy, not necessarily caring if it drifted this way or that, as long as it was left unencumbered and in the same general swimming hole. <laughs> but what do I know? And you like it this way? asked Barrett. Hobart scrunched his rubbery face, then let out a balloon deflating wheeze. Sure, I guess. <laughs> Never thought two ways about it, I suppose. Do these songs, started Barrett with a trained journalistic transition sticking out like a sore thumb, do they make you feel connected to this place? Do they make you think of your father or your ancestors? A fly flew in through an unscreened window. Resonant wing flaps buzzed in Barrett's recorder. Children played a rousing game of cowboys and Indians just beyond Hobart's rotted, caved-in front porch. When Barrett got to the house, he thought it resembled a toothless grin, much like the one he was currently looking at. He wasn't sure if the large glasses were yet another sign of transient tradition. Maybe Hobart's uncle wore the spectacles and they were passed down like a cornbread recipe. The old man's irises and pupils were milky blue water, looking vacantly in no particular direction. Barrett smiled and adjusted the microphone in anticipation of a thought-provoking answer. Hmm. He tongued the inside of his cheeks and puckered his lips. Mm, no, I don't suppose so. Just like playing the tunes they like playing. The good ones. Folks like hearing them, so I play them. Barrett chuckled and nodded along to the logic. It was sound. So was all this. As their conversation and afternoon heat lingered in harmony, Hobart raised his fiddle, once more flowing from sentence to song. Another tune poured forth from the little instrument, warding off the devil, faintly remembered like a West Virginia sunset, and vividly forgotten before it reached the front door. Thanks for listening to Henry Handsome Lived and Died. If you'd like to learn more about the collection, go to elliotmanson.com slash henryhandsome.